friends. I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the co-rectors here at the table. And today, the honor of proclaiming good news to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today, we proclaim the good news that Jesus is decoding Scripture and demystifying us. You are free from oversimplifications, and in the power of the Spirit, you are equipped for the ever-complexifying realities of life unspooling all around you. Fiercely commit yourself to justice and love and the humanization of all people today. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week. Um, at the end of the podcast, they did an interview with a woman who just wrote a book about uh, the Marvel Studios movies that they were releasing over the last 15-ish years. And she made a comment that stuck with me as I was preparing for my sermon. She talked about how really the movie that started this like frenzy into superhero movies was uh, Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, which came out in 2002. And she made the point that that happened to come out right at the time that a lot of things were coalescing. Of course, there's the advancements with CGI and graphics that were making it a little bit more fun to watch someone pretend to be swinging around New York. But the comment that she said that really stuck with me was that this movie coming out a year after 9-11 really had primed us as a culture to be longing to see something on the screen that clearly defined and made simple for us what was good and what was evil. I think the way that she framed it was, we were eager to see an evil that we understood. And the way that she verbalized that, just talking about Spider-Man, stuck with me as I was reading this Old Testament passage and meditating on how to proclaim good news about this in the midst of what we're seeing in the real world around us today in Gaza. Of course, this longing that she was naming in the culture of wanting to see an evil that we understand something that we come by honestly. Life is infinitely com complex. We all experience loss and confusion, but especially in moments of sheer terror, it's hard to know what to make of it. We don't know oftentimes the people that are on the other side of these things. And I think we see some of these same complexities at work in our Old Testament passage today. And perhaps these complexities kind of illustrate or illuminate our readiness to oversimplify the passage of Scripture. So just as a, a rehashing, it was a really long passage. I'll just hit the high points. The passage starts off saying, Sheba cries out, we have no portion in David. And he raises up an army of Israelites to oppose David. But Judah clung to their king. They clung to David. Then Joab and his men, fighting on behalf of David, lay siege to the town where Sheba is. They begin dismantling the walls of the city. Then a wise woman comes to Joab and says, I am among the most peaceful and faithful in Israel, and you seek to put to death a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the heritage of the Most High? And Joab says, Far be it for me to do such a thing. It's just Sheba I want. He's the problem. So this wise woman says that they'll throw the head of Sheba over the wall to Joab, and she makes good on her word. That settles it, I suppose. <laughs> Folks familiar with the television series The Wire might think of the uh, really famous quote, if you come at the king, you best not miss. <laughs> so we're left with a simple lesson, really, in the Old Testament. David is God's elect, so if you oppose him, then that'll be that for you. 
But is it really that simple? We've just heard the past two sermons in a row calling into question David's morality and his character. We heard about his rape of Bathsheba. And then last week we heard about his refusal to confront his son about his rape. And then even in this passage, kind of in passing actually, in verse 3 it says, David came to his Jerusalem home and the king took the tin loast, his tin low-status wives, whom he had left to watch the house, and he put them there under watch in a guardhouse. And he provisioned them, but did not go to them. So they were confined until the day of their death to a living widowhood. Now these are the concubines that are mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 16. The reason that they receive this as their fate is because Absalom took them up onto the roof of the palace and made a political statement by raping them. And he did this just to oppose David. And so these women, their fate in passing here is mentioned that they are subjected to a living widowhood. So perhaps this man Sheba, who the text refers to as worthless, is right to at least take some issue or call into question something to do with David's reign. It's hard to resist or enter into the complexity of this text without thinking of what's going on in Gaza right now. There's a war in the Middle East, in the Holy Land. Innocents, women and children have been imprisoned, tortured and executed. And I notice the tendency of some in our culture to want to simplify and flatten this, to make it easy and palatable. Do we cling to the Star of David? Do we speak on behalf of people who have been dehumanized and violated by that same banner? What are we to do? I saw a local chef posted on Instagram this week. A lot of y'all act like you understand the conflict in the Middle East, but you don't even understand Caesar dressing. <laughs> and I think it's fitting. Friends, it is infinitely complicated. And it didn't just start. This conflict, this war, has been going on for years and years. And so what are we to do in the midst of this complexity? We turn to Jesus. In our New Testament, in our gospel passage today, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue of his hometown, and folks question where he received his authority to teach. Isn't this Joseph's boy? They were offended over him, and he was largely dishonored or rejected. Now, this passage is short, and a lot of us are probably pretty familiar with this, right? Like, a prophet is unwelcome or dishonored in his hometown. But this passage here, this four-verse passage, comes at the end of chapter 13. And so it's actually kind of the bookend or the conclusion of something, a much larger narrative, which, because of the way we have kind of received Scripture, bolded out into different sections and with verses, sometimes we just read these four verses and we think, okay, so don't go to your hometown because you're not going to be respected as much as you could be somewhere else. But friends, God has better news for us than that today. <laughs> chapter 13 is a chapter that Jesus has been teaching consistently throughout the whole chapter about the divisiveness of God's reign. The word for reign or empire appears 12 times in these 58 verses. This is also the chapter in which the word parable first appears in Matthew. And the, the term or the word for parable is the Greek word meaning to throw alongside. 
So chapter 13 is actually all about Jesus comparing the kingdom or the reign of God to the kingdom of the world around us. Sometimes, especially in our modern frame, when we hear kingdom, we're not exactly sure what to make of this. Are we talking about God's government? I think in this instance, it probably makes the most sense for us to think about it as the logic, the logic of the kingdom of God compared to the logic of this world. And the capstone, then, is Jesus being rejected in his hometown. I can't help but wonder, honestly, if he might have been more well-received if he had been bitten by a radioactive spider and he was able to swing from synagogue to synagogue. But instead, he's comparing the difference of the logic of the kingdom to the logic of the world around him. Jesus is located in an occupied territory. He is one of amongst an occupied people. And there's disagreement amongst the people in that day about the best strategy for how to handle this. Do they raise a rebellion? Do they work within the current power structures to try to make the most of it? What does it look like for God's reign to come? And Jesus will not give them what they want. Instead, he spends all of chapter 13 talking about the distinctiveness of God's empire of justice. Friends, the good news is that Jesus is simplifying your call so that you don't have to act like life is simple. You were made for love, to be loved, and to love others. Today's proverb says, wisdom is calling out to us. And wisdom here in Hebrew scriptures is the word chakma, which means the wisdom of the heart and the hand. It's never limited to our intellectual capacity. It's actually what we believe, how we feel, and what we do with our bodies. And what is this wisdom of heart and hand? What is the wisdom of God's kingdom of justice? Well, all of the law is summarized in this, that we love God and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. So this call is very, very simple. We love all people. We work for justice, for the humanization and flourishing of all people. Cornell West says that justice is what love looks like in public. I think sometimes when there are these international conflicts like this, there's this undertone of, it has to do with some kind of American arrogance tied up in all kinds of different ways that we've interpreted scripture and how we maybe see ourselves as the new Israel. But continuing with this theme of Spider-Man, I feel like the message can be to American Christians, with great power comes great responsibility. So make sure that the statement that you put out of who you support is clear. You have no room to enter into ambiguity or nuance or complexities. You just need to pick a side and pick it quickly. And you better get it right. But friends, we are called to be people that resist the flattening of reality, the oversimplification of things in our personal lives, but also at a global scale. We decry acts of terrorism, violence, and torture of any and all kind against any and all people. We decry oppression in all of its forms, here, locally, in our workplaces, in our city, in our government, but also in other countries. Following in the way of Christ, we align ourselves with the outsiders. We don't show up as caped crusaders simplifying good and evil, but we go and we identify with those who have been cast out, those who have been wrongfully imprisoned, those who have been removed from any 
sense of being able to speak on behalf of themselves or advocate for themselves, that is where we show up. That is who we are called to be. Not to resist complexities, but to enter into them with a simple call. To seek love and flourishing. To pursue justice. Not just with our theories and our thoughts, but with the wisdom of our hearts and our hands. The way that we feel and orient ourselves towards our neighbors. The way that we work with our bodies. This is both infinitely complex and it's as simple as anything could be. We are called to fiercely commit ourselves to love and to justice. And as anyone who has tried to do that knows, that means that we are fiercely committing ourselves to walk into complexities without oversimplifying them. If you've ever had a conflict with a partner or a family member, you know then that disagreements are not simple especially just between one, one and one person where you were in the same room and communicated something out loud and you heard it differently. <laughs> so when we look at a global scale of something that's been raging for years and years and years, we have to resist any type of conversation that seeks to oversimplify or flatten or reduce it. Of course it's complicated. But our call is simple, to love all people, to pursue justice and flourishing for all people, and to resist flattening reality. That's the good news of the incarnation. Jesus identifies with us. Friends, you are free from having to crack the code of Scripture, from deciding on whether or not if David is God's elect, then you just have to side with him, no matter how many women he imprisons or rapes. You're free from having to live like that and follow that type of code of being a Christian. Life is complex, and you don't need to reduce it down to digestible takes. Or endorsements. Instead, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are equipped to walk into the complexities of life, loving yourself, loving each other, and loving all of creation around you. So cling to King Jesus today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.